my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. When the Queen died earlier this month, the internet exploded. Not just with tributes to her legacy or opinions about the monarchy, but also in conspiracy theories and racist, sexist attacks on Meghan Markle. Now, this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about. The ways that our internet landscape make it really easy to amplify attacks on women and women of color. But what is really interesting to me is what happens when you dig into the actual numbers of who exactly is spreading all this hate. According to research from There Are No Girls on the Internet guest Christopher Bouzet of Bot Sentinel, it actually takes a lot less people than you might think to gamify our social media platforms and dominate online discourse about someone like Meghan Markle. And I joined my friends, Samantha and Annie, at the podcast Stuff Mom Never Told You to talk all about it. This is kind of a convoluted segue, but I wanted to bring it up because it does bring me joy to remember me and my old Neo's Angel email. Um, 
<laughs> receiving these things. But also, I do think it kind of tangentially <laughs> relates to what we're talking about today and that there seems to be like these messages coming from we're not sure where. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very eager masterful. to learn more about this. That was really, That's I gotta good, say, like right? podcaster to podcaster, that was a masterful <laughs> transition. <Good> transition. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But yes, I'm very eager to learn more about this. Can you tell us what we're going to be discussing today? Yes. Yeah, so as you just said, Annie, it is sort of related uh, about this idea of who is able to really control conversations on the internet about one specific subject. And so today, that topic is going to be Meghan Markle. Um, as you all, I'm sure by now probably know, the Queen died uh, last week. Did, do, I'm curious, do you two have any like strong connection to the royal family, the monarchy? Like, Is this something that you followed or you like could not care less, have not followed it, don't know anything about it? I personally could not care less. I it's It's been... It's impossible to escape, I will say, right now. Um, But I don't have any real feeling about it. I have some friends who do. I did go through a period where I was really into, like, entertainment from the UK. And specifically, like, I was in love with the idea of moving to London. Uh, But I've never been into the royal family. That's never made sense to me personally. But I have friends who are... So I guess I get it through them. Right. So I'm old enough to remember, uh, like vividly remember, instead of just being like kind of like, yeah, I was a kid, I remember this, the death of Diana, Princess Diana, and also uh, the love for uh, William, Prince William, who is, I think, a couple of years younger than me. So, of course, like that era of trying to figure out watching these young princes grow up and following their stories. So not necessarily that I was caught up in uh, the royal lifestyle or family, but I do remember that offset of seeing uh, the huge controversies amongst the family at that point in time. Of course, as recently as everything has happened in the past 10 years with Meghan Markle, even Prince William getting married and and all the different things, uh, I have an understanding of what's going on, kind of like you, as well as the fact that I have understood my group of people that I follow have very strong opinions mm. of colonialism. And I'm like, ah, yeah, okay, this tracks. So that's kind of where I stand in this mix. Totally. So <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I have to say right up front, I am not a careful follower of the royal family. I kind of bounce between like ambivalent to like, oh, I know about this. So I know that there are people who are obsessively following royal family and monarchy culture. And if I say anything that's incorrect, that is because I am not a a careful follower of the royal family. Uh, But kind of like you, like I have a lot of friends who are really into it. Um, Older, I I do have a theory that older moms, specifically like older black moms, have a real affinity for Diana. So growing up, my mom loved Diana, cried when Diana died still has People magazines from from that time with like, you know, what was it? Um, the People's Princess and all of that. Like, my, like, so definitely got a little bit of secondhand royal family engagement from that. But I've never really been somebody who followed it carefully. Obviously, when Meghan Markle came on the scene, I loved that. I was definitely like, oh, Black Princess. I know she's not a princess, but that was what we said back when, when she came on the scene. Um, but yeah, and I think one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by Even as someone who doesn't really know about the monarchy, why I'm so fascinated about this issue is that 
Meghan Markle and the way that people talk about her, I think gives us a very interesting lens into how women, particularly Black women and, and women of color, how our online experience is shaped by other people. And Meghan Markle is not even on social media any anymore, neither is Prince Harry, and yet she is a constant focal point on social media. And I think that we really saw that with the death of the Queen. And even though the Queen was born back in 1926 and there was no such thing as social media back then, when she, by the time she died last week, social media played a huge, overwhelming role in the way that the royal family considered her death. You know, the news itself was first announced to the public on the royal family Twitter before any place else. And, you know, a lot of the immediate next steps and actions that the royal family took were circulated around social media. So, like, halting government social media accounts and saying, like, oh, official government accounts are only going to tweet you know, essential information, no non-essential posts, and like changing the royal family website to be like a like a mourning, you know, in memoriam kind of thing. And in addition to the way that social media has shaped the way the royals, you know, present to the public, we have seen that it also presents this place for Meghan Markle to be faced with pretty intense criticisms, but also things like outright lies, conspiracy theories, racist, sexist smears and stereotypes about who she is. And it really is not the first time. Like, we have seen this kind of stuff going on with Meghan Markle before the Queen's death, obviously. And it's so interesting to me that this, this event, the Queen's death, was used not just as a way to, like, memorialize her or, like, critique her reign or anything like that. It was also used as a way to further slam Meghan Markle on social media. Yes. Yes. And as someone who, as I said, like I'm not, I don't follow this a lot. I've, I don't get on Twitter a lot. Even I was aware that this was happening. Like I saw it uh, trending on like my brief, like what's going on on Twitter. And I had enough knowledge to be like, I bet this is coming from a really terrible racist place when I saw like Meghan Markle go home trending. So yeah, uh, can you explain... <laughs> what all of that was? What was the social media response? Yeah, I mean, it's almost exactly like you said. And I once interviewed somebody who writes about fandoms and fan culture, and she described it, interestingly, she described it as an anti-fandom, which I had never heard before. And so it's just like what you think of a fandom, but in the opposite direction. So like people who their whole thing is, I love to hate this one person. I love to create content about how much I don't like them. That's my thing. And so... That kind of messaging was in full effect. After the Queen died, as you said, the hashtag Meghan Markle go home started trending on Twitter. And basically what I found so interesting about that is that first people were picking, up, picking on her because she did not go to England with Harry, her husband, after the Queen died. And it, I'm, again, I'm no expert here, but it sounds like she just like was not invited and so not going wasn't anything bad. And then when she actually did go, everybody was like, oh, go home, go home. So it's interesting how it kind of doesn't matter what she does. If she doesn't go, that's bad. If she does go, that's also bad. And I think it, it really illustrates how, yeah, it's like this impossible tightrope where it doesn't, it's, it's clearly not really about her actions and what she actually does or says. It's just about her. It's about her existence, her presence. That is threatening. That is not okay with the people that hate her. And Ultimately, it's like an impossible situation to walk. Um, there was this like 
very fascinating instance where she was videoed and somebody in a crowd handed her some flowers and an aide seems to walk up to her and is like, oh, I'll take those for you. And she says to him, she, she mouths something to him that's like, seems to be, oh, I got it. Don't worry about it. Thank you. And you would, the way that people talked about this on the internet, you would think that she punched this aide. And it's like, actually, she's just like calmly standing there saying a sentence, smiling, and then like clearly saying thank you. And it's like a 30 second interaction. People were dissecting it like the JFK Zapruder film. Like, she, like, people became like overnight body language experts and lip readers, and it was wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to return to that idea of the anti-fandom for sure, because I think as someone who is like a fan of a lot of stuff, I've seen this before, and it just becomes like this where people feel justified in hating someone and here's the proof. And I, yeah, I'm a body language expert and I can tell you why. Um, But all it is is like, they just want to hate that person who usually they feel is encroaching on their territory. And very hippie quotes. (laughs) Like as someone who is interested in a lot of like Star Wars stuff, nerdy stuff, fandom stuff, I'm sure you have seen this a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, I cannot wait uh, to talk about it once we get more in depth about what might be going on here. Because, yeah, it's just like it becomes. I think I've said to Samantha before. It's like this anti-fandom thing is ringing so true with me because I'm like, well, you're not a fan anymore. You're just right. all about the hate of this. <laughs> you're a hater. <laughs> you just are unhappy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know why you're here. <laughs> Right. It's to make everyone else feel unhappy and to like assert your what you think is your power and dominance in the space. But you're not a fan if you hate this much of it. Right. <laughs> just go, just go along. It's it's gonna be okay. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean the like the levels people will go, the things they'll do to scare usually women, marginalized people off the internet is wild to me. Um, And then unfortunately, very often successful, but like they will come up with all of these things. And you, you brought this example of like a conspiracy theory, right? Where they were like, this, something is wrong here (laughs) with Meghan Markle. Yeah. So like, I mean, the amount of wild conspiracy theory, like people... It's clearly a lot of like projection where people already have a negative association with someone and then any little thing will be used as proof to stack their to stack that that thinking, right? And so one of the big conspiracies that came out of the Queen's funeral was that Megan attended the funeral wearing a hidden recording device under her dress. And the reason why people thought this is because she was photographed and in one of the pictures there is like a wrinkle or a bump on her thigh and people were like how like the the gall she's gonna be what, what is she recording this for her podcast or for some Netflix special so shameless and it's like yo I have worn those kinds of recording devices in my clothing they are so bulky also don't you if, if that was her plan don't you think she would have worn an outfit that was more conducive <laughs> like she wouldn't have worn a dress that is like clings to that part of her body she might have worn something with pockets like you know she might have don't, don't you think that if that's what she was doing, she would have done it better? And isn't it more possible that, like, 
humans who wear clothing and stand while wearing that clothing sometimes experience wrinkles. Like, isn't that right. more <laughs> more of a, a better explanation for what's going on? Right. I think you're being too logical, Bridget. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you be sensible? <laughs> this whole conversation is so odd to me because Meghan Markle just being being present, marrying a man has caused this huge controversy. And of course, a lot of conversations and comparisons to Princess Diana and Meghan Markle. And of course, those same people who probably uh, were degrading and or criticizing uh, Princess Diana would now call her an angel and then saying that Meghan Markle's the one that's, uh, you know, disrespecting the name of Princess Diana. And everyone's like, wait, what? Like, you are the ones who are number one in criticisms. But also just like the fact that Meghan Markle has nothing honestly to gain in this entirety of this conversation of these controversies to record any of these things, uh, to try, as they say, that she's trying to make money off these things. She's not. She's literally doing a podcast about her own life, bringing in guests to talk about marginalized issues that has nothing to do with the throne in general, as well as the fact Prince Harry's not that close. None of his family is not close to the lineage to become king or queen or whatever or whatnot. We have already seen the graphs that happen. So, the, like, my mind is just reeling of, like, why? Why take this effort to bring this conspiracy other than, hey, she's, uh, she is not white, so therefore we hate her. <laughs> yeah, and you, you touched on something. This is a little bit of a tangent, but you touched on something that I think about all the time is how— you know, I, I was young when before Princess Diana died, but even I know, as like a child living in the United States, even I knew the way the press talked about her, even as a kid. And so the press really tore her down. And then when she died, she's an angel. We've always right. loved her. It's like, and I, I see that so often. And I, I do think it's like, like as bad as the media in the United States is, I do feel like in the UK and in England, it's like, work can be worse. Like, the, like a little yeah. bit like... um more vicious. And I think about like Amy Winehouse is the figure because I was a huge Amy Winehouse fan. Amy Winehouse is the figure that I think about a lot where the press and the media loved to villainize her and, and really make fun of her in these like cruel ways and in ways that I hope that it, when people are struggling with substance issues now, I hope that we've gotten to a place where like we don't cruelly mock them for it. But then when she died, the way that th that same press rush to lionize her, rush to act as if they had always loved right. her. And it's just, it, it's hard to see. And, you know, it it's kind of breaks my heart, but there's this video clip of Harry talking about this. And he's like, basically feels very emphatically that the press is responsible for the death of his mother. And right. that when, when there was a time when Megan was open about experiencing, uh, you know, feelings of self-harm. And he talked about how, he felt like he was watching the press do the same thing to his new wife that they that right. he had to watch them do to his mom. And I, something about that clip really sticks with me. Of like, I don't know, I, I I don't think I'll ever be able to understand what that must feel like to to have watched that as a child and be so right. powerless, and then watch it again and be like, no, I'm not letting this happen again. Yeah, and compounding that with the fact that this is a racist uh, attack on a woman for just being in love with a man. 
point blank. Um, but, you know, I find that interesting because for me, I actually didn't know much about uh, this hashtag. I, I, as much as I'm on Twitter and, and saying things, again, like I said, the, my friends have very strong feelings of uh, the queen and her uh, <laughs> responsibility and, and colonialism in itself. So I had a whole different take on this conversation. So I'm kind of surprised to know that this is happening. And I'm really wondering, where did they all come from? So this is a great question. So I have to say, I am probably in a similar digital pocket that you are because <laughs> my timeline when the queen died was like very much black Twitter and like Irish Twitter Irish and like Twitter. Jamaican Twitter all coming together. <laughs> I know that people have, how can I put this? I came, so when the queen died, I don't think I realized that I knew people that had a lot, had I was surprised by how much reverence my friends in the United States had for her. So I was like, oh, okay, she's definitely like a, I have friends that think of her as like a, like a feminist figure. I was like, okay. Right. Like, I, like I was a little, I, I, again, this is not to like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say, I, like I, re, I realized <laughs> I was like, oh, people have complex feelings about her. And it kind of right. almost became like a Rorschach test of right. where people were at. And I was just like very surprised to see that. I, it had not occurred to me that that was going to be the way that me it was. Either. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> me either. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, so that's pocket I'm in. So I'm out of the loop on this one. I don't know. I just, it, it's interesting to me. I think that Meghan Markle, and we should talk about it because I do think Meghan Markle evokes a reaction in a certain type of person just her presence, just her being around is threatening and, like, deeply... I think it can, like, deeply challenge a lot of people's preconceived notions, right? So I think that, like... I also think that Meghan Markle, at this point, carries herself in a kind of way that, frankly, I think a lot of, like, white people might have a problem with. Mm, Not surprising. Yeah, but that's the thing is like, so that's the only thing I have seen. And so I'm trying to figure out where all these conversations are coming from. And is is it actually reflective of the rest of society, the rest of the peoples in Twitters? Well, so that is a very, very interesting question. Uh, Christopher Bouzet, who is a CEO of a company called Bot Sentinel, which is an organization that analyzes Twitter data to determine, you know, where conversations are coming from, who is generating them, if it's real people, if it's bots. Um, He did an entire analysis of Meghan Markle in October of 2021. And basically, you would be surprised that a lot of the hate thrown at Meghan Markle is being driven by a lot fewer people on social media than you might suspect. Yeah. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. 
One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this I'm excited to talk about because I remember forever ago, Bridget, when you and I did that episode on Star Wars feminism, there was a similar thing about Star Wars, about the hate the actors received. Oh my God, that's right. Yes. And I was shocked. And I I've, I always try to make the point, believe me, I know there are terrible, racist, sexist fans. Believe me, I know that. But the data that came out was like, it's way less posting about it. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say it's way, way less, but it's way less actually posting about it. And still, the perception I got was there was this huge sex, uh, sex, sect on Twitter that was like tearing down these actors and was causing Rotten Tomatoes to like review bomb. And the report we talked about was like, it's actually a lot of bots and still it has this huge impact that changed Rotten Tomatoes Mm -hmm. and their policy and it changes how people perceive like Disney made creative 
decisions, because they're cowards, based on this. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a good point. And I think it really goes to show that, like, A, a pretty small minority of very motivated, very vocal, coordinated, I guess, in a, in a nice way to put it, passionate people can <laughs> uh-huh. really change discourse. They can really change, po- like, they can really make an impact. And so I would also, I would argue then that, like, there is a problem with our social media platforms and our digital platforms if a small handful, a relatively small handful of dedicated trolls and people, to people like haters can really impact and change discourse. Like, I would argue that that means that something is broken, something is flawed. And I also think that, you know, when you have a small handful of people dictating the conversation and making, making, creating the impression that everybody hates this new person on Star Wars or everybody hates Meghan Markle, it's so much easier for somebody who is just a casual viewer of this to get the idea that like, oh, well, everybody hates so-and-so. So like, I'm not going to chime in with like, I like so-and-so or that I'm ambivalent about so-and-so. If I'm going to chime in, it kind of poisons the well and it makes it so that we can't actually have honest conversations rooted in what people actually feel because it just like creates an ecosystem where the hate is what's dictating the conversation. And so, yeah, I would argue that that means that our ecosystems are not healthy and not, you know, functioning properly if hate is able to dictate the conversation, even if it's a small minority of people who feel that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I was under the impression, I was totally under the impression, like, oh, this must be a much bigger group of people than I thought, even if I was like, they're wrong and they're full of hate. I still thought it was way bigger. And the numbers you brought about Meghan Markle kind of shocked me with, like, how much smaller they were based on what I have seen as a casual viewer of this. Absolutely. So let's dig into some of those numbers. So from this Bot Sentinel report, they found that only 83 accounts on Twitter generate 70% of Meghan Markle hate content on Twitter. They estimate that these 83 accounts have a potential combined reach of 17 million users. Uh, So they broke it down. They found that 55 what we call single-purpose anti-Meghan Markle hate accounts. And so a single-purpose hate account is that account that, like, it only exists to hate on one person. Like, that, like, they're not, like, primarily, like, that's what they're doing. Uh, so 55 of those accounts were these, like, primary hate accounts. And then another 28 secondary accounts that, like, mainly amplified them. And so those 28 accounts, they might post about, like, the royals more generally, but that their real function is to boost and amplify when those or uh, that when those other primary accounts put out anti-Meghan Markle hate. And so that that's really it. Like, they are generating a lot of the hate online. It is not organic conversation, and it's certainly not a, a reflection of how just everybody feels on social media because these, these accounts have such a big reach and such a big ability to, to control the conversation about Meghan Markle. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that you've, you've come on and you've talked about about a lot on here is this, the responsibility of social media platforms, but also that kind of manipulation towards these hateful accounts when it comes to the algorithm and like what people see and what gets like more traction, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I, I have a little bit of a different opinion than a lot of my colleagues in the 
platform accountability and disinformation space, a lot of people would say single-use hate accounts should be banned from the internet. Like, if you are someone who is running an account and the only, that account only exists to hate on one specific person, it should be banned. I can understand that view, but I think that the most important thing is that platforms should not be amplifying it. They shouldn't be recommending those accounts to people. When you, when you search Meghan Markle information, those accounts should not be the ones that are prioritized and that, that users see first. What users see first should be like thoughtful, honest in- information from sites that, are, that do not exist only to spread hate about this one person. And so it is interesting that like on a platform like Twitter, these 83 accounts that are driving most of the conversation around, the negative conversation around Meghan Markle, they kind of blatantly violate Twitter's rules. Like one of Twitter's rules is that accounts cannot coordinate to dogpile on people to harass them or to like spread negativity around them. Well, these accounts do just that, right? And they do so in like a pretty sophisticated coordination with each other. And yeah, I think it's one of those things where platforms really need to understand what's at stake when this is allowed, when like a small handful of accounts are able to bypass the rules that you have set for your platform in order to artificially control the discourse about one subject, that's not great. No. (laughs) No, it's not. And it's kind of frightening, to be honest. And you had a quote, Bouzet talked about this, like making the the clarification that like we can't just blame bots. Correct? Yes. So I find this super interesting because, you know, we often, when it comes to online discourse, talk about like, well, is it bots? Is it people? And I feel like the over-focus, like like talking about bots is serious and we should be doing that. But when we focus on that and don't also bring into the conversation that sometimes it is real people, I feel like the conversation can be not as useful because it obscures the fact that like, well, it isn't all bots. Some of it is like real people. And so in an interview with BuzzFeed, uh, Bouzet said, this campaign comes from people who know how to manipulate the algorithms, manipulate Twitter, stay under the wire to avoid detection and suspension. This level of complexity comes from people who know how to do this stuff and who are paid to do this stuff. And so, yeah, I think especially when you think about the fact that people can profit from this, I think right. it like, really should behoove these platforms to make a change. I mean, that's the big conversation is that people are making money and can make a living off of this. And why is this something that is profitable? So it's not just they're making money, but they're profiting and literally off of hate. Uh, Because over here, I have at least four times the amount of the bots following me, and I can only get three people to look at my tweets. I mean, how? Come on. Sorry. That is an outrage. That's an outrage. You're right. (laughs) But I find that interesting that we have had this continuous talk and we have these prime examples of what is happening on Twitter specifically. Like, we talked recently about uh, one of the Canadian... um, women who is currently working with Bumble and making sure that there is safety for the women who are and those who are on their app and that one of her big things were that she was bringing out the reports showing how Twitter does not uh, help or defend or make uh, Twitter safe for women and marginalized people and uh, Ipsos just recently came out with uh, a big research data showing that women are still being heavily targeted and are not being helped at all by platforms in general and that the fact of the matter is people are once again profiting have become uh, have become aware of oh 
so we can make money by essentially on women and women of color and doing so in a way that not only can we get away with it, not only can we make money, but it's making a difference uh, in people's reaction to this. Yeah, it, I mean, like, and so you're exactly right. Like, this, the, the research is, it completely jives with what you're saying. You are exactly, exactly right. And as bad as that is, right, so, like, platforms are, like, I, I would argue that this this kind of negative engagement and harassment and abuse of women of color on these platforms I would argue that is built into these business models. Like Twitter, when, when somebody tweets something that is like crapping on Meghan Markle and it's getting lots of engagement, it is in Twitter's best financial interest to boost that and amplify that because it's like, oh, this is clicky. People are, people are paying attention to this. That's a problem. And I also think that, you know, we're talking about Meghan Markle, who is a public figure, but she's not a political figure necessarily. We're talking about, you know, Star Wars and like fandom Think about how that, like as bad as that is, apply that to democracy. Apply that to women and women of color who are trying to run for office. Apply that to women and women of color and other marginalized people who are trying to engage in our democracy and be part of civic and public life, right? And so the implications really become clear. If it's this bad for conversations that are, you know, about pop culture and like celebrities, imagine how how big the stakes are when that same dynamic is applied to people who are just trying to run for office or just trying to make their voices heard and participate fully in our democracy. Right. And the one report we were talking about, they were specifically uh, focusing on journalists and talking about this is a part of their job description. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, oh my God, because technically it's a part of our job description and I hate it. I hate it so much because I don't want to become a focal point at any point. Not that we are, thank God, because we go under the radar as well. Like I said, two people like my tweets. It's fine. Um, but we go under the radar <laughs> enough that, you know, we don't have to deal with that. But for someone who has, who's being told, if you don't get your views up, you're not going to get paid or you're not going to stay in this job, I couldn't imagine oh my that God. level. So I actually literally just left a summit all about this as it pertains to journalism. And I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a journalist, right? Like, I was obsessed with April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yes. um, I, I, like, wanted to be a journalist. Like, that was, like, the, the career that I wanted to go into. And today, the fact that young women, like, who are younger go into journalism, like, like willingly, it surprises me. Because right. I think a lot of women have—women are smart enough to realize— if I'm going, if the cost of doing this job is dealing with online abuse, online harassment, online violence, and my male counterparts are not dealing with it the same way that I am, so it's just like the, it's just like an extra woman tax or you know marginalization tax in the workplace, and institutions largely do not know how to support women who are going through this and dealing with this, and so it's like just their problem. There's an assumption that the, the person who is the focal point of, of harassment and abuse, that they've done something to warrant it. And that completely is not how it works. Like, oftentimes, the thing that they're doing is, like, existing as a woman. Right. Um, and so think about what we are asking women to deal with. It's just completely unfair. And we're asking them to deal with it and not even talk about the issue, right? And so it's right. completely, it sets up a completely unfair dynamic. When I think about how many people have either just 
given up on this as a career. They're just like, I'm not going to get on social media. It's not worth it. It has the ability to suppress women from being involved in public and civic life. And the worst part is, is like we were just now talking about it. We're so late in bringing it up. Right. And that's in fact, uh, these reports are specific to Twitter, but it's been happening. It's been happening on bigger platforms and other social medias, right? Oh, absolutely. It is. I don't want to give the impression that it is just Twitter because that is not the case. Um, So, Bot Sentinel also analyzed YouTube accounts, and he and they found that because of YouTube monetization, trashing Meghan Markle is actually big, lucrative business. They found that 25 YouTube channels earned around 3.5 million from ad revenue, and that three of the most successful anti-Meghan Markle accounts generated almost $500,000 during their existence. And these videos are like, it's not like they're filming, you know. <sighs> I know, like, yeah, like like they're low quality videos that basically just traffic in conspiracy theories and outright lies and like racist stereotypes and tropes, right? And so like some of the claims that they'll make is like, oh, Meghan Markle, she faked her pregnancy. She used a surrogate. Like it's, it's things that are completely baseless lies. And I think that if you are able to make half a million dollars almost trafficking in baseless lies and conjecture and racism and sexism, you shouldn't be able to, if if you're able to make that kind of money from that, something is wrong. Like something is really broken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, agreed. Because it's like, not that this always works, but there's been attempts to crack down on like medical misinformation. Um, Like you can't make money off of that. It's been hit or miss, but there have been attempts. And it seems like if there's just something flatly untrue, you should not be making <laughs> millions of dollars from it by saying that it is true. And then just like the the spreading of that um, and how harmful that is on these platforms. And we've seen it. And like we said, like the trickle effect of people believing that this is the discourse. And so therefore, women have it hard enough already, like in the public office. Like, I just don't like her. There's something about her. And to have like just this overwhelming (laughs) discourse of like, no, no one likes her. And so it it just seems so toxic and that people are making money from it is very frustrating. And I... Definitely agree. That means something is wrong here. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to be clear, like, I didn't really have strong feelings about Meghan Markle. I like that she's a Black princess, but, or was a Black princess. And yeah, I know she wasn't really a princess, but whatever. (laughs) I, 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 but like, if you don't like Meghan Markle, that's fine. You're, it's, it's totally within your right to be like, I don't like her, rubs me the wrong way, whatever. We all have people that we don't like, but that is very different than, you know, I am going to, spearhead a coordinated campaign to make it seem like everybody doesn't like her. And that campaign is going to be built on racism, sexism, and lies about who she is. And and I say that because when you do that, you're making us all less safe. It truly does threaten our democracy when you're able to tell those kinds of inflammatory lies and have them take up so much space in the room, it makes all of us that much less safe, particularly women and women of color. It makes it so much harder for us to thrive in environments where we can be judged on our character, things that we actually do and actually say, not made-up conspiracy theories about us putting microphones in our panties, right? Like, we need to have 
a discourse where honest, thoughtful, accurate conversation about who we are as marginalized people dominates and crap like that does not. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember very vividly this essay I read a while back that was like, you know, if a woman stands up in the town square and is saying something is wrong here and a thousand men threaten her with violence and are screaming over her, who's like freedom of speech is being threatened here (laughs) because it feels like that because like you said, so many people leave, so many marginalized people and women leave uh, because they're facing this, what they feel, what what is uh, this like shouting, hateful vitriol that makes you feel unsafe in this space and it makes it impossible for us to have these healthy conversations that are necessary and needed for a democracy. Absolutely. I would also argue that like that it's by design. It's mm-hmm. meant to gum up the works. It's meant to have people who are interested in actual discussion and dialogue to check out and be like, no thanks, don't want to risk risk it by putting my thoughts out there. And it's meant to make sure that we can't find unity, that we can't come together, that we can't make progress on all the issues that are impacting us and have the conversations that that we need to have that might move us forward on those issues. Right. Right. Well, Bridget, is there any, has there been any changes? Is there any hope to discuss? There is a little <laughs> bit of hope, right? So earlier, so I, I mentioned how on YouTube, people are able to make big money, basically just running single purpose hate accounts against Meghan Markle. Not anymore. Earlier this year, YouTube made a big change. They de-ranked anti-Meghan Markle results from their search uh, in a really great BuzzFeed piece by Ellie Hall, which shout out to Ellie Hall. She has done some fantastic reporting on Meghan Markle and race and culture and what it all means. Uh, Ellie Hall writes, but now you'll only find videos from verified accounts and news outlets in the YouTube search results for Meghan Markle and first recommendations in the sidebar. Even if you explicitly searched for and started watching videos that accuse Meghan Markle of being a narcissist or videos claiming that she wore a fake belly to make herself look pregnant, YouTube's recommendation sidebar won't initially serve you similar videos. And so uh, I do think that that is a step in the right direction. Like, I got to give it to YouTube that that was a good call because, yeah, when you search any topic, but let's use Meghan Markle as an example— it is not. It should not be in YouTube's best interest for the first search results, for the things that they're promoting, for the, the, the recommended videos that they're surfacing to you, to be videos from people whose whole thing is hating on that one thing, right? It should be honest, accurate content. I would love to throw in thoughtful in there, but I think if, if, if we could just get <laughs> accurate, that would be great. That would be a great start. Bars are so low uh, for just 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 do yeah. this because it's gotten so off the rails. It's just like just just be true. At least if you're going to say Meghan Markle is married to Prince Harry, just yeah. say that. Just end, end it with that. I'll watch that over Let's anything just have else. It be accurate. <laughs> Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. 
So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. This is the biggest conversation, like, why is it significant? When people talk about uh, Meghan Markle knew what she was coming into. I, again, it's just one of those places of, like, but she just got married. <laughs> but that's the end. She didn't want uh, to be a princess because so many accusations came at her. That they were like, you know what? We're leaving this royal family stuff. We're done. We're done because we're getting attacked from every circle, whether it's she's uh, <laughs> a gold digger slash, I guess, a royalty digger. I don't, is, that a, is, that, is, that, is that a name? Is that something? Um, or versus to uh, her want to disrupt the family, all of these things. That What just happened was they got set up. They are famous. She wasn't that famous. She just, she was an actress. She was good at her job. She could have kept going. She met him, got married, and that's it. She's not trying to be political. She's not trying to be royalty. She just wants to be a part of her family, has some really good good relationship with her mother, bad relationship with father. 
just being that. And because of that, she's getting all this vitriol being compared to the other royalties. Uh, we, we know what this is. We know what this looks like. And for her, who is not even on social media, who continues to be attacked, it's, it's just one of those parts of like, she doesn't deserve this. There's nothing that she did that deserves this. There's no conversation where we think that this is earned. And she, she put herself out there. She's not a politician taking a stance on anything. She's just being like that's it yeah you when something that you said i hadn't even really thought about this but i think that people's reactions to megan markle really demonstrate how women of color especially are really not allowed to publicly be multifaceted complex humans it's like the fact right. that like oh she has a you know complicated relationship with her father <laughs> doesn't, right? Like, they use these incredibly human things where it's like, yeah, welcome to being a human in relationships with other humans. Sometimes these things happen. Like, they find these incredibly human things that we all experience, and they they use it or they frame it as, like, a negative against her in these ways that I just think are just completely transparent. And it's so obvious what's happening. And the way that they talk about her with this, like, I'll just say this, they're quite good at talking about her with this plausible deniability of like, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean that racially. When I called her Compton Kate, even though she's not from Compton, I didn't mean anything race, like racially, I didn't say anything racially motivated there. I was just saying she's from California and Compton is also a city in California. Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> also like, exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, Again, I feel like we need a new segment, Bridget, where you come on and we do like rants. <laughs> but I feel like this, it, there's so much of this that is like questioning women's ambition. And it still seems to be in this very like old system of royalty. Like, oh, she's just trying to marry into the royal family. We can't trust anything she does. And she's trying to ruin this tradition by being her. And like just constantly questioning and calling out what women's intentions are. <laughs> and they're yeah. almost always evil, I guess. It's funny, because yeah. like, I find myself having... I mean, these systems are so ingrained that I'm not immune to it. Like, I, when I read articles about ambitious women, like, I have to really check myself internally and be like, well, are you really just, like, adding this, like, sexist trope on to this woman that assumes that she must be you know, misleading this, like, simple, childlike man who doesn't know any better. And, and oftentimes the answer is yes. And I have to step back and be like, well, let's unpack why your assumption was that this woman who is ambitious and powerful must be, you know, calling the shots and misleading this, like, dullard of a man. Isn't that kind of <laughs> insulting to both of them? <laughs> but, yeah, it just goes to show, like, how ingrained these these systems are and how insidious they are and the work that each individual needs to do to unpack them and myself very much included right yeah me all of us i think we all have these things that we just didn't realize had we'd internalized so much and um something like this you know the royal family Meghan markle can seem kind of frivolous it's not but it can kind of feel that way because celebrity culture kind of incites that a lot but uh, as we've been alluding to a lot throughout this, it does matter, right? Oh, it matters hugely. Like, I would say that the reaction to Meghan Markle 
really shows how easy it is for a relatively small amount of people to create an effective negative echo chamber that can be fueled by things like racism and sexism. You know, again, if 83 accounts are able to generate the majority of negative chatter about one person and create the impression inorganically that that is the overall sentiment of that person— it kind of means that our digital landscape and our platforms might not be so healthy. Yes, yes. And and I don't think we went over this, but there were those, the people who are doing this, who are running these accounts, know what they're doing. They know how to manipulate the system. We talked about that, but they have like very specific ways. So if there's, if we are on working in these systems where there's 83, these 83 people can just manipulate these rules and kind of skate being banned and these what some people who are maybe casual Twitter users or what have users assume like, oh, Twitter has these rules, they'll kick people off. But that's not working either, right? No, it's not working, right? And so I would say the fact that platforms still allow this largely is a big problem, right? The fact that it's profitable, that you can make money from it, and I think it's incentivized. And so, again, like we, it's... These 83 people are bad actors, but also more institutionally, platforms need to do something to make sure that a relatively small handful of people can't hijack an entire conversation about a subject. And again, I know that a lot of people that I respect would say that the answer is to ban single issue hate accounts or single person hate accounts, that we should be banning those. And I, again, I I think that there's always going to be people who their thing is hating on other public figures. And so I don't necessarily think that like those people should not be able to do that. Like I don't love it and like I wouldn't recommend it and I would never be friends with somebody who would do that and I would never do that. But there's I feel like there's always going to be people who are hell bent on hating on others and I think that's just like a reality of the world that we live in. But even so, platforms don't have to make money off of it, profit off of it, amplify it, normalize it, you know? Like they can take some accountability and so I don't know. I think that the real, the real, for me at least, the real problem here is what happens when platforms just allow this and it becomes the norm. Because I really have seen the way that this same dynamic can be applied to political leaders, women running for office, women journalists. And I think the implications when you apply it that way really become clear. It's, 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 they're quite dire. And yeah, people can make money off of it. Like the fact that we're looking at Forbes magazine with TikTok stars talking about how the number one star is making almost $20 million per year. It's kind of like, what? wait, what? And the realization is literally TikTok, the platform, helped elevate these individuals and have made them a household market and have made them profitable and have created a new genre of celebrities? Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm say like, that a way. New, like a new marketplace. Right. I mean, the fact is they have a lot of power, whether we want to admit it or not. And it, it plays into, obviously, as you were talking about Star Wars, it plays into movies, it's played into what's being created, it plays into what's being pulled, it's played into who ends up being on, uh, who ends up becoming leaders. It absolutely affects everything. And when it's specifically targeted to silence marginalized individuals, like what has happened with Meghan Markle, that she got off of social media. We've seen many teen celebrities, young girls, get off social media because it's the constant berating, constant trolling, that it becomes a thing. We've seen individuals being terrorized for making a comment about someone's favorite musician. It's, <laughs> it's the whole level of like, what is happening? And the fact that this has allowed to happen and there's no one who seemingly controls it, 
even though it's under a platform that is a private company. Exactly. I mean, I couldn't have put it better myself. And when I think about the ways that, you know, the younger generation, the generation coming up behind me, they're largely like, you know, the an online generation. And so they're learning about politics and the world around them and civic engagement from the internet. The ways that they exert that power and those voices is are, are largely online. If our online systems are so toxic that people don't even want to be part of them, that is an entire generation of marginalized young people who early on have just checked out. And that is a huge problem. Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, I think of kind of the toxic messaging we get from a very young age um, as women. And so you internalize some of this stuff. And then if you are exposed to these social platforms that are just reinforcing all the toxic messaging, that's not good. That's that's very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's bad. And I guess, like, I just strongly feel that we all deserve better. Like, we we, we can have better... The reason why things are not better, I would argue, or because it's lining the pockets of mostly white, straight, cis men who build these systems and profit from them. And them. We deserve better. I don't care if they all go bankrupt if it means that we can have something better for the rest of us. Yes. Eat the rich. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, Well, thank you so much as always, Bridget. It was a delight to have you. Every time we have these, I'm like, well, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. So (laughs) Um, are there any resources you want to shout out or uh, where can the listeners find you both? (laughs) Well, I definitely recommend checking out Bot Sentinel's work. They put out research briefings that are so fascinating. And Christopher Bouzet has done such a good job of really helping me understand what's happening on the internet. So definitely check them out. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie or on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC and check out my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely do that, listeners, if you have not already. Thank you again, Bridget, for being here. Cannot wait until the next time. (laughs) Me too. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Always a wonderful, a wonderful pleasure. And listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've never told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.